Amen. Thank you, David, for leading us in that time of worship. And now, friends, it's time for us to begin our study of God's Word. And this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. So just one verse today as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. We are looking at the Fifth Commandment today, which is going to be Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. I'm going to go ahead and read God's Word, and then we'll pray and get into our study today. Exodus 20, verse 12. This is God's Word. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you and praise you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I believe that our nation, our culture, is in a dark time. And I believe that we now, more than ever, need the guiding light of your word. So, Lord, it is my prayer this morning that you would speak through these words, that you would use the instrument of human preaching, which you have chosen, to be able to communicate your word, to rightly divide it, and to apply it to our particular time and place. Lord, I just pray that you would prepare hearts right now, that we would be willing to receive what you have. Lord, I pray our minds would be ready to think your thoughts after you, and that you would grant your people wisdom, boldness, and courage to live out the truth and hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for a blessing now over this service in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, I want to talk a little bit today about what's going on in our culture. And one of the main problems I see is something that's actually adhered to by both conservatives and liberals, and that is this idea that ultimately it's going to be politics and government that is going to fix the problems in our country. I believe that is fundamentally flawed. There is an enormous problem with that kind of thinking. And I would like to point out that not only do I want to show you that the Bible ultimately supports this view, but I even want to begin with a quote from one of the founding fathers of the United States, who also believed this point that I'm making. The idea that if we resort to politics alone, and we don't understand that there are prior and necessary things that must come before that cannot be solved by government or politics, that ultimately begins in the home and in the human heart, then I don't think there is any hope for our political and governmental future. So let me begin first by reading from George Washington's Farewell Address. You all know George Washington was the first president of the United States. He served eight years, and in his final year, he delivered what is known as his farewell address. It's a pretty lengthy speech, but I pulled out from it a single paragraph that I felt was very important for us to hear this morning. And it highlights this fact that not only 
does the Bible support the view that I'm going to share this morning, but that even those of the founding fathers recognize that as important as politics and the governmental system is, it's not enough. There are things that are prior and must come before. So listen to the statement made by George Washington in his farewell address. He said, quote, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and cherish them. <clears throat> A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths which are the instruments of an investigation in courts of justice. And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And yet, friends, I believe that's exactly what is happening in the United States today. People are focusing so much on politics and government, seizing power, passing laws and legislation, but the fact of the matter is both the Bible and even the founding fathers of this country recognize that without religion and morality, the political system will and must go wrong. It will go wrong. And I know many people don't believe that. They're looking to politics and government to be the answer, to be their savior. And while, of course, I would not say that it's not important, neither would the Founding Fathers and neither would the Bible, but what we do want to acknowledge, as Washington himself did, that religion and morality are prior and necessary in order for political systems and government to function as they should. I would liken it this way. Politics is like the body. And we know the body is important, and it's the body that's performing actions in the world that are visible for other people to see. And yet the body without the soul and without the mind is dead. Religion, and I'm, I'm using that word in a positive sense to talk about thoughts of God, the worship of God, the honoring of God as God, and the obeying of the Bible as the very word of God. So religion is like the soul to the body. Without the soul, the body is dead. You essentially have a zombie-like political system. And that's what we're seeing. It's functioning, so you think it's alive, but it's actually dead, devoid of true faith in God. So religion, in the positive sense, is like the soul to the body. But morality, which, is, which precedes from religion is like the mind. The mind is the thought and the reasoning that animates the action of 
the body. And so we see, friends, that as much as everyone's focusing on politics and government, it is up to us to deal with the matters of the soul, which is religion, and of the mind, which is morality. And this is the church's primary role. We are to be the soul and the mind, the basis, the source of these things, so that God's people and the people around us who don't know God will have the moral tools and spiritual resources to know what to do with earthly governmental powers. And I would say that that's actually what we see here in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments had to do with what we might call religion. Notice that. The first four of the Ten Commandments didn't have to do with morality, as many people conceive of it. Because when many people think of morality, they think of social morality, namely your relationship to your neighbor, to the man down the street, to your co-worker, whoever it might be, your fellow citizen. But you'll notice where the Ten Commandments begins. It begins with what is most important, and what is most important is the soul that animates the mind and the body. And that's what the first four commandments are about. They are about the worship of God. And so for us, certainly as Christians, we cannot, like so many, dispense with spirituality, dispense with religion, say, oh, that's not real world stuff, Pastor Mike. You need to get involved over here in these issues of the body and engaging out here because this just doesn't matter. Friends, not only is that anti-biblical, it's even anti-historical. The Founding Fathers were so sure, Madison talks about this in the Federalist Papers, that it doesn't matter how good your political system is, if people do not have true religion and their morals are not formed and based upon that, which we're going to see is rooted in the home with mom and dad, that's where it begins, then all of society, try as you might, is going to go wrong. So it all begins with religion. It begins with worship. That is why worship is important. It is vital. It is prior to political action in the world. And so people who forsake the church, they forsake worship, they forsake studying the Bible and, and listening to good Bible preaching, and yet they want to engage in politics, friends, that is damaging. That is damaging, and that is not what God's people are called to do. So first we see religion or spirituality is like the soul to the body, and that's the first four commandments. But you'll notice here, beginning in the fifth, we have the mind, which is morality. So we have that spiritual life, worshiping God, but now our minds are being renewed. They're being formed by the Word of God, and this becomes the basis for social morality. And friends, I want you to notice today where this begins. This doesn't begin with the presidency. It doesn't begin with the Senate. It doesn't begin with the House of Representatives. It doesn't begin with the governor. It doesn't begin with the mayor or the city council. Where does the biblical basis for social morality begin? It begins in the home. The home, friends. If you want to make a difference in today's world, and yes, I realize this is a long-run investment. We might not see much in the short run. You think, oh, well, that's not good in the short run. We need to do this. But friends, we do need long-term solutions. And when something is right, 
You do it because it's right, not just because it's practical. And so notice today, we're going to look at the fifth commandment, which is the first commandment regarding social morality, and it begins in the home. So I want to answer two basic questions today. I want to answer, what does the fifth commandment mean? And two, why does it matter? What does the fifth commandment mean, and why does it matter? Let's take a look at this verse. It begins, honor your father and mother. Now that verb for honor, it's an imperative, it is a command, and it's the word kabade, which comes from the word kavod. And kavod is the word for glory or honor. It's the same kind of word used of God. God has kavod, he has glory and honor. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, as I've said before, the Ten Commandments are deliberately general and universal. They're deliberately general and universal. They are not meant to be narrow. They are not meant to be a a case-by-case sort of a thing. They are general, wide principles. And so what does it mean to honor your father or mother? That is going to be a question that every home and every Christian and every church and culture has to figure out. You work on it. But what you do is kavod, kabed. You bring the position of parenting mother and father glory and honor. It's the idea of prizing it highly. This is a command. This is the basis of social morality in the Bible. It begins in the home. It doesn't begin in the body politic. It does not begin in government. It begins in the home, and it begins here. Give glory and honor to your mother and your father. The idea here, of course, is when a child comes into this world, all that they really know of God is largely reflected through their parents, both for good and for ill. And so a child leans on their parents to learn about God in this world. And while I would certainly say Romans 1 is true regarding children, that God has in them implanted in intuitive, innate knowledge of God the Creator, and yet that knowledge can can be watered, it can be nurtured, it can flourish, or it can be intentionally covered, suppressed, and diminished by parenting. It is the parent's job to tend to that seed that God has put in them of the knowledge of God. And so it's largely in this context that a child's walk with God is determined. Again, we're not saying that if a child honors their mother or father, they are born again, they are a Christian, because ultimately there are reasons for doing that that are self-seeking or serving. It doesn't necessarily mean they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yet we see, nevertheless, as far as social morality goes, this is the first of the commandments. We are to honor and bring glory to the position of mother and father. This means parents. I know for many of us, we don't enforce that anymore in any way. I know it's harder now than ever to even seek to establish this in your home as a parent. 
because as much as people say this, it's simply not true that, oh, well, if you just teach your kids to honor you, then they will because nothing else in the world has influence on them. That's not true. If your kids spend eight hours a day in another school where other people are influencing them and teaching them and other kids are influencing them and teaching them, and then they come home and they watch TV shows where kids are disrespecting their parents and when other parents also don't enforce it, and that makes you feel bad, oh, I don't want to be a disciplinarian, I don't want to be seen as strict or a joy kill or whatever else, so you don't do it. And so I know right now there is a tremendous challenge to see that this is done in the home. Now, there's a positive reason I can understand why some parents don't enforce this, why they don't seek to establish the fifth commandment in their homes. And it's because they've gotten over their pride when your child uh, doesn't respect you. There's a personal thing. You know, it can feel like, oh, you know, you're, you're saying something about me and you don't love me or you don't honor me or whatever, and you can get personally offended. But let me point out, that's not what the fifth commandment is about. The fifth commandment is not so much a personal commandment. Honor Mike and Beth. Honor, you know, Joe and Susie or whatever the case is. No, that it's not what it's about. It's not personal. This is a social principle. Think about it that way. This is a social principle. And so it doesn't matter if I'm able to get over it. Oh, my kid is so cute and I love them. I don't care if they insult me and disrespect me. It that's That's great and wonderful if you can get over that personally, but that's not the point. The point here in the fifth commandment is it's dishonoring to God and it is bad for society. And if it's dishonoring to God, that's the soul, right? That's the soul. Religion is the soul. And it's bad for morality. That's the mind. Do you think that's not going to have any role in politics? Do you not think that a lot of the violence and the chaos and the hatred and the vitriol that we see right now in society has nothing to do with a corruption and lapse of morality, which isn't ultimately rooted in a diminishing of the acknowledgement and the worship of God? I don't think any of you really believe that if you stop to think about it. So friends, what we've got to see is this is not simply about personal preferences, whether we like it or not. This is ultimately important as an act of worship to God. It's recorded in the Ten Commandments. This is how Israel will worship God, and it's the heart of Israelite religion. So this is how you and your children worship God, is seeing that this is done in your home. But it's also for society, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But it, we are also doing this for the good of society because children who honor their parents behave differently in the world than those who don't. And study after study in sociology backs this up 100%. Let's continue the verse. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, many people, they kind of stop halfway through this verse and, and they think, well, if you honor your father and mother, you'll live to be 110. Um, technically, folks, that's not what the scripture says here. It's very specific. Notice what it says. So this was given to Israel at Sinai. God was bringing them into the promised land, which was very specific land, contingent upon their obedience to this covenant. So look again at what it says. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which your the Lord your God is giving you. So this isn't just talking about living a long life per se, although that could be included as a secondary matter. 
Rather, this has to do with the inheritance and the possession of God's blessing. The inheritance and possession of God's blessing. So think about this in principle. Of course, this referred to a specific plot of land for Israel at this point in the Old Testament. But think about it today in terms of Christians. The idea would be God's blessing on their lives. It's not necessarily, I mean, you could live a blessed life. My father died at 57, and I would say that he lived a blessed life. He, he really did. There was pain, there was suffering, there's definitely ups and downs, but it was a blessed life. It was a beautiful life. I would say it was a full life. Even there holding my daddy's hand as he passed away and breathed his last, ushered him into eternity at 57 years old. I can say because of Christ, he lived a full and complete life, more so than many people who live to be a hundred who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, friends, this is not just about a long life, although I, I think there could be reasons why that is implied also. But specifically, it has to do with the blessing of God. And so, parents, if you want the blessing of God in your children, when you hold back, when you don't enforce in any way the fifth commandment, that they dishonor, your children dishonoring you and disrespecting you. Again, you can't make kids uh do what you want to do. You, you can't. You can just set boundaries and, and punishments. And when they're older, if they're like, I refuse to honor you and respect you, well, then you need to find another home to live in because in this home, we honor and worship the Lord. There has to be boundaries that are set. And so friends, I just want to encourage you to recognize that this commandment is something that is still applicable today. We actually see the, the Apostle Paul quote this very passage in Ephesians chapter 6. He refers to this. So if some people say, oh, well, you just needed to honor your parents in the Old Testament, but you don't anymore. Friends, that's not true. Paul quotes this in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And Paul noted there in Ephesians, this is the first commandment with a stated promise. So this is still applicable, parents. This is not an option. So number one, what you're doing by teaching your children to honor you is you're ultimately teaching them implicitly to honor God. And you can even state it as such, that that's what it is. It's not just a personal issue. This is a worship issue. This is about the soul of humanity. And that that soul becomes the basis for social morality. And this leads us into our second question. I said, what does the fifth commandment mean? We've talked about that, but why does it matter? Friends, what is happening in this commandment is we are being given the basic building block, the amino acid of any civilized society, which is honor and respect for authority. Honor and respect for authority. Think about all the, and again, I'm not being partisan here, left, right, center, whatever. A lot of what I see out in the world today, what I see in the news, is a lot of disrespect and dishonor towards people in authority. Whether that's the president of the United States, whether it's a senator, whether it's uh, a representative, whether it's a governor, whether it's a law enforcement agent, whoever it might be. When people are in positions of authority, the point is not honor them if you like them 
honor them if you agree with every possible thing they come up with. That's not what the fifth commandment teaches. You'll notice the fifth commandment doesn't say, you know, children obey your parents when they're right or whenever you prefer or when they agree with you and then and then you will honor them. No, it's the idea of respecting that God has actually ordained authorities in life. You know, a lot of people have been bringing up Romans 13 because it talks about the basic Christian predisposition towards the powers that be, the state, governmental authorities, and it's one of submission. But friends, I dare say that rings hollow if the fifth commandment has gone unobserved. Because to suddenly come along and tell someone who grew up dishonoring, disrespecting their parents, saying there was no need to do that whatsoever in the most basic and fundamental way of honoring and respecting authority in this world and ultimately, therefore, gaining one's morality from God and therefore engagement in politics, we're suddenly slapping on that passage in Romans 13. It's not just Romans 13. It's other passages in the New Testament talking about it. And it becomes nonsensical. It really does. It becomes nonsensical, and people have almost no moral basis for understanding why in the world we would do that. I'll tell you what, if you learn to honor your mother and father, not just because they're always right, but because they are your mother and father and God has put them in that position, it's going to be a whole lot easier to obey governmental authorities when they tell you to do things you don't agree with or you don't like or to respect the president, regardless of whether he's a Republican or a Democrat or, or whatever the case might be. So friends, a lot of what we're seeing out in the world is not going to be fixed by politics and government because it starts here with the fifth commandment. It starts in the home. What I believe God is calling us to do today as believers is to dig down deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ to dig down deep into the Word of God, into the Bible, and to draw our resources for life, not just from the media and YouTube videos and everything else, but from the Bible, from God's Word, and not just relying on the quote-unquote professionals out there all over the place, but you, at home, teaching your children the most basic and essential principles which precede and are necessary and prerequisite to any real, lasting, meaningful political engagement in the world. And so, friends, as we prepare for this time of worship and praise, I do want to point out a few things. I do know that there are exceptions to this rule. I do know that sometimes parents do not behave honorably. I would like to point out that the New Testament teaches clearly that parents have an obligation to their children. Paul, immediately quoting this verse in Ephesians 6, 4, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but train them up in the admonition and fear of the Lord. Parents do have an obligation to honor God by loving their children and raising them rightly. The Bible is also not naive to the fact that though every parent is imperfect and sinful, that some are so unbelievably beyond the pale of normal human sinfulness that Psalm 27.10 even says, When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord my God will take me in. So friends, I'm not talking about blind allegiance to wickedness and evil. Certainly not. 
but what we are talking about is a general principle rooted and preceded by the worship of God and it becomes this basic building block for morality which in turn feeds society. Friends, if we are going to change this culture, if we're going to change this country, I don't believe it's going to happen at the ballot box. The problems precede the ballot box. They precede the candidates. Friends, they begin in our homes. It is my prayer that we will join together, that we will make the worship of God the basis for our lives, and that we will make this basis of honoring mother and father and parents loving their children and raising them in the fear of the Lord, we would see that this is how revolution for good actually happens. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you and praise you so much for your word. I thank you again that you reveal yourself to us, that you show us how to live life. As C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, you made the human machine. You made human society. No one knows how it functions better than you. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would recover these basic truths, which seem far too simple, and yet they are so profound, and they have been largely forgotten. Lord, I pray as much as we're called to engage in civil affairs and try to limit evil as best we can and promote good as best we can, but fundamentally, this matter begins in the home, and this begins in the heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you that ultimately all of us have failed in some way to keep the fifth commandment. Even those of us who are very obedient and respectful, generally speaking, we did not always do it. No one is perfect. No, not one. But we thank you that there was one, the greater son, the son of God, who obeyed all of the will of the father. He said, I always do that, which pleases my father. And it is Jesus, the perfect, obedient, and honoring son who fulfills this law on our behalf so that we too might receive forgiveness and grace in our time of need. Lord, I just pray now for a time of blessing over your people. I pray a true spiritual revolution would take place in our hearts, in our homes, and in our churches, such that the world around us sees and knows that Jesus is Lord. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.